Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and reading today from the Free Grace Broadcaster. That's a quarterly that's put out by the people at Mount Zion Bible Church in Pensacola, Florida. The topic this quarter has to do with stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks. And to speak on it, again, we're going to listen to James Durham from 1622 to 1658 was when he lived. He was a Scottish minister in the Presbyterian Church and uh, died in Scotland in the UK. In order to explain what we mean, he says, by scandal, we must draw some very careful distinctions. What scandal is and is not, and, and what this kind of scandal looks like as distinct from that kind of scandal. And by patiently working through these distinctions, we'll end up with greater clarity and precision in how exactly we should understand scandal. Number one, offending is not the same as displeasing. We need to be clear that scandal or offense does not always actually displease or grieve someone. There's a great difference between displeasing someone and offending him, just as there's also a great difference between pleasing someone and edifying him. Someone may be displeased and yet edified, and on the other hand, well satisfied and yet spiritually offended. Offense is in contrast not to being pleased, but to being edified. And so scandal, offense, or stumbling is something that may or does impair someone's spiritual edification, regardless of whether they are pleased or displeased. This is clear from comparing Romans 14.13 with Romans 14, verses 20 and 21. Paul explains that a stumbling block or an offense is anything that may be the occasion of a fall to someone, anything that may make him stumble or weaken or halt in the course of holiness, just as a block would hinder a runner or put him at risk of falling as he runs a race, which is what the similitude is drawn from in this phrase. Number two, you can give offense or take offense or both. To give scandal or offense is when you lay something in front of someone else that is apt to cause that person to fall or sin, even supposing they do not actually fall when they encounter it. If it induces to sin of its own nature, it is an offense or stumbling block. Christ said to Peter, Thou art an offense unto me. Though nothing could cause Christ to fall into sin, yet the advice Peter had given was in its own nature something that gave offense. This is known as active offense. To take scandal or offense when no offense is given is when somebody does what is not only lawful but necessary, and yet others, simply from their own corruption, carp at it and stumble over it. In this way, the Pharisees took offense at Christ, even though Christ never gave anyone cause to be spiritually harmed. It is a feature of the wicked that they stumble where there is no stumbling block. And as it is said, they know not at what they stumble, Proverbs 4.19. This is called passive offense. Offense is both given and taken when there is something active on the one side that is apt to draw someone else to sin, and that something is yielded to on the other side, that is, the bait is accepted. This was in the stumbling block that Balaam laid before Israel. This is how it is 
Ordinarily, when sinners having corruption are soon inflamed to some extent or another with every incitement, for example, Peter gave Barnabas something to stumble over when he dissembled by refusing to eat with the Gentiles. And Barnabas went and stumbled when he was also carried away to dissemble. It is active offense or active scandal that we are really looking at here. It is, in short, any deed or word that in itself is apt to make someone else sin or to weaken him in his spiritual course, either in respect of life or comfort, irrespective of whether the person actually stumbles or whether the speaker or doer actually intends offense. In all of this, we are to understand that one act may be offensive in many considerations, just as one deed may be sinful in many ways. Number three, some offenses are in doctrine, others are in practice. There are doctrinal offenses and there are practical offenses. Doctrinal offenses are such as flow from matters of opinion in which people vent some untruth and so lay a stumbling block before others. This is to break a commandment, the commandment against falsehood, and to teach others to do so. Sometimes this also overlaps with matters of practice, that is, when a corrupt practice is defended by false doctrine, as the Nicolaitans attempted to do. Scandal in practice, without any doctrinal defense, is when doctrine is kept pure, and yet a person falls into some practice that, of itself, without any verbal expression, induces others to sin. David's adultery was a scandal in this way, and so also was the fault of the priests, who made the people to stumble at the law in Malachi 2, 7 and 8. In this way, every public or known irregular action is offensive because it gives a bad example to others or otherwise influences them in a way that provokes them to some sin. Number four, some things are inherently offensive. Others are offensive because of their circumstances. We may distinguish offenses according to their matter. Some offenses are in matter that are simply sinful in themselves and also have sins following on them. All errors and public sinful practices are offensive in this way. Some matters are sinful not simply in themselves, yet they have the appearance of evil. Dangerous and doubtful expressions in doctrine that have, have been or often are abused and also practices not in keeping with the honesty and good report that a Christian ought to study, are offensive in this way. David would not take the name of idols in his mouth, because others paid them reverence, Psalm 16, 4. In this way, he avoided giving offense through the appearance of evil in the theological language he used. However, Peter's dissimulation and withdrawing from the Gentiles in Galatians 2 was an example of practices that are out of harmony with holiness. His actions appeared to strengthen the opinion of those who insisted on keeping up the difference between Jew and Gentile. For the same reason, Paul would not circumcise Titus, Galatians 2.3, and he condemned eating in temples devoted to idols. Some offenses are in matters that are otherwise lawful and indifferent, though not necessary. For example, in the early church, 
Eating or abstaining from specific foods or from what was offered to idols was indifferent when it was done in the house of a heathen, and so was sometimes lawful. But it was not indifferent when it was done in the temple of an idol, because that gave the appearance of condoning evil, as if the person who ate the food had some respect for the idol. Nor was it indifferent if any weak brother was at the table in the house, because it would grieve him. It is these last two, and more especially the third, that are directly to do with the doctrine of offenses, as the offense arises from circumstances to do with the thing, such as time, place, person, and manner, rather than from the deed considered in itself. Number five, some offenses are unintentional. Some are caused despite intending to do good. We may distinguish offenses in respect of the intention of the person who acts. Some things that may be offensive given the circumstances may yet not be perceived to be offensive by the person who gives offense by them. This was the case with the offense that Peter laid before Christ. Alternatively, sometimes the person may intend to do good to someone else, yet may offend and cause him to stumble. For example, Eli intended his son's good, but really, by his too gentle reproof, he caused them to stumble by confirming them in their wickedness. Similarly, some by untimely reproofs or censures, and indeed also by misplaced commendations, may in fact make other people worse, even though they intend the opposite. Number six, offense is caused not so much by acts themselves as by the manner in which they are done. This leads us to another distinction, namely between the practice itself and the manner of performing it or the circumstances of doing it. If you think about it, even acts that are good in themselves will not be edifying unless they are done in the right manner. Thus, a good act will not keep off offense if it is not done tenderly, wisely, and so on. We often find that circumstances of times, persons, places, manner, and so on, have a huge influence on offense. It is not offensive to pray or to preach, for example, but at some times, such as before an idol or on a holy day, praying or preaching may well be offensive. And then number seven, there are offenses of omission and offenses of commission. Just as we can distinguish sins of omission and sins of commission, so we can also distinguish offenses in the same way. For example, some people give offense when they take an oath, but they do it lightly or pray, but do it irreverently. Others give offense when they do not pray at all, for neglecting prayer fosters profanity, such as irreverence in prayer does. Presumably for this reason, Daniel wanted to open his window in case he would be thought to have stopped praying. Note that you do not guard against an offense of omission only by doing what is your duty, unless you are also doing it appropriately in a way that is fitting. This is called the holding of the testimony, Revelation 6.9. It is mainly that this is edifying to others when the light of holiness shines. When the light of holiness is veiled to any extent, to that extent, our neighbors have darkness to walk in, and in that way it is to them an occasion to stumble because we are not holding out the light to them. But still, this 
holding of the testimony has to be done without affectation, that is, uh, pretentious behavior. Um, but still, as I said, this holding has to be done without affectation or ostentation, that's too much display to attract attention, lest a new offense follows on it. Number eight, some offenses are upsetting, others are flattering. Yes, some offenses contradict and oppose the graces of God's people, and these make them sad. Some offenses foster corruptions, and these are too pleasing. In this way, soft reproofs, corrupt advice, and flatteries provide many people with things to stumble and fall on. Number nine, some offenses are indirect. Others are direct. Some offenses may be called indirect. For example, when a person commits them in their own private life, uh, such as in the, their way of eating or drinking and living. Because this person lives quietly and out of the public eye and is not involved with anyone who stumbles due to his behavior, the offense they cause is indirect. However, some offenses are more direct. That is, they flow from how people act in their public behavior or in the way they interact with others, where the inducement to offend is more direct. And number 10, offenses differ in the manner of causing hurt. Offenses may be distinguished as they hurt people either by pleasing them in their corruptions and strengthening them in what is sinful, or, on the other hand, when they hurt them by irritating and stirring up their corruptions. Too much gentleness in admonitions, or rashness, or imprudence in commending what is good, or extenuating what is evil, or corrupt advice, and such like offered by strengthening people in what is sinful. In this way, Jonadab caused Amnon to stumble, and Eli caused his sons to stumble. On the other hand, putting people down, wronging them, and, and not taking the trouble to remove a wrong or to explain ourselves if people think we have done wrong, grieves and offends by stirring up people's corruptions. And so do unfair criticisms, thoughtless admonitions, that are not seasoned with love, hard reports, and so on. There is more. There is more. We will take care of that next time. Thank you so much for being with us today. We want to remind you that uh, this Free Grace Broadcaster can be sent right to your home every three months. Just send an email to chapel at mountzion.org. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on December 6, 2022. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.